You see the title of this morning's message, appropriate. I did not time, John, just so you know this. You will, if you know me, you know there's no genius with that at all on my part. But I did not time John chapter 4 with the church anniversary. That was the Lord's grace. We've entitled it, Keeping Our Focus. As I am in John chapter 4 and have been with you as a congregation, we have an unusual approach, or I do, to the way I exposit a text anyway. Uh, I have an unusual approach in verses 27 to verses 42, the next 16 verses. And I say that I will still be doing an exposition and exegeting the passage to you, but I will not be doing it consecutively, which is very unusual for me. But there's a reason for that, a couple of reasons. First of all, primarily the text itself. The text dictates that. And you say, what do you mean, Pastor Dan? Well, if you remember, we're in a conversation with this woman, and as we come to verse 27, and it left off in verse 26, what we come to from verses 27 to 42 are two things. There are two different conversations that will take place. One is a conversation with his disciples, and secondly, there's a conversation with the Samaritans. And so that's why I'm going to break it down, because we're going to concentrate, rather than going the disciples, the Samaritans, the disciples, the Samaritans, we're going to concentrate and break it up a little bit, because that's what the context, context really dictates. There's two different conversations going on. And secondly, I found it absolutely amazing in my study, and praise the Lord, that also we're celebrating the 45th church anniversary which was planned a long time ago, and it just fell across this context. And there is some relevance, I believe, to that which we're addressing this morning in relationship to us. As I said in the context, the woman is at the well and having this conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I read verse 26 specifically because, remember, he has just identified himself to her. And outside of the Samaritan woman, until you come to the trials in the end of his earthly time, you don't have this happen. So he chooses to reveal himself as the great I am to a Samaritan woman. And that is amazing. And in the midst of that, we see that he identifies himself, and we're going to see some amazing things and amazing reactions from verse 27, in my opinion, from verse 27 to verse 42. Let me give you some examples to set the tone, not just for today, but where we are. Some of the things we're going to see is we're going to see a woman who is there basically to be isolated from the normal woman because she's by herself because of her reputation and everything else. This woman is by herself away from everybody and was just talking about water, and now she's going to go back with excitement. Her life has been changed, and she is going to leave this scene proclaiming the glories of God. Proclaiming and bringing, listen, she's going to be occupied with bringing people to him. That is the Messiah. There's tremendous excitement. We're going to see that. Then we're going to see the Samaritans. We're going to see a group that we've already learned together who was not someone that was looked upon very highly, and they are going to come to him out of, number one, curiosity. They want to see if this is true. They're going to come with openness to find out. They want to hear what he has to say. 
And then amazingly, these people who we didn't even come to at first are going to get saved. They're going to come to Christ. They're going to have their life changed by their own admission. So we're going to see some tremendous things happen in these next few verses. And then there's this morning. What do you mean? Then there's the disciples. What do you mean by that? Now listen, stay with me. And obviously, because I knew we had communion as I studied this and so forth, there's a lot I'm not going to be able to give you, but I brought it down with the time frame that we have here uh, as the Lord's allowed. So I want to give you some of this right away. Then there's disciples. Who are they? Remember now, they're the learners of Christ. They're the ones who are already claiming to belong to him. They are the followers of Christ. That's the disciples now, not the Samaritans, not this woman. These are the ones who have been given the knowledge of God. These are the ones who are on their way in their training by God. Listen, these are the ones that I will call the spiritually informed ones. These are the ones who are going to be used by God to, no question about it, establish his church, that he is going to build his own church through. Okay? And that's who we address first. Oh, they must really be excited. They must really be open, right? Uh-uh. We're going to see this morning their focus is in the wrong place. Of all the people, they should have been the ones that were the most excited. They should have been the ones who were the most ready to proclaim the gospel. They were the ones who should have been looking for people to bring to him. But where were they? They're focused on the physical. They're still influenced by their own traditions before salvation. They are in desperate need of instruction. Those who should be giving the instruction are the ones who are in desperate need of listening. And I want to say to you right away this morning, that's where the church of Jesus Christ is. There are those that are still coming to Christ and those that are excited, those that don't know anything about God, and they're, they're excited. And there are those who are well taught and have all the answers and have been following Christ and should be the most excited and should be winning everybody to Christ and they're the most involved in the physical, the most involved in the indifference, the most involved in needing instruction. Also, I said the reason was the Fellowship Bible Church is celebrating its 45th anniversary. Let me lay some honest groundwork before you, especially for those of you that are not familiar with maybe Fellowship Bible Church or its history, and you get a good opportunity to see some of that today. I tell you, it is, listen, don't go to sleep on me. It is marvelous what God's grace has done in this work. 45 years, God has been doing some miraculous things. Praise his name. Let me give you some of the positives. 
We've been here 45 years, not at this site, two different sites, actually more than that when you go back to the Grange and so forth. Many have come to know Christ as their Savior through the ministry. Many other works have been established, some around the world. Missionaries have gone forth from here. Many, an individual has been equipped for their Christian life through this ministry. It is absolutely astounding. Whose work is that? Pastor Stringer's? No way. Pastor Dan's? No way. And if you ever see him taking credit for it or me, smack us in the mouth. Be careful now. Okay? All right, but you get the point. It's what God's doing. Don't you lose focus of that. It's what God is doing. Have we had our struggles? Now listen, yes. Have we lost some good people? Yes. Have we lost some good people even because of me, because of Pastor Stringer, because of the elders, because of you? Yes, we have. I'm not talking about the works you know, started and the good part. I'm talking about has that happened? Yes. Have some moved away from here? Yes. Have we had to have discipline issues over the years? Yes, we have. Have there been trials where there's even been splits? Yes, there have been. That's being honest with you guys. But hold on, folks. As I presented some, and this is just a nutshell, some of the positives, and some of what we would call the struggles of the negatives, I want you to hear this. All of it has been under the sovereign hand of a glorious God who has been building his church. And there hasn't been one thing that has entered into this work that has been not allowed by God for the furtherance of his name and for the glory of God among us. And he has now got people in all areas of the world through this ministry, not because of us, but because of who he is. He has used simple, ordinary people like you and me, and he's still doing it. And he has helped us to mature and to grow. And he is using many throughout all areas of the world today, including still here. All for his glory. But as we will see in a moment, just like with his disciples, we can begin to lose focus. And so I want to say to you right away this morning with our time, we need as individuals, we need as a local church to not only, we're here at a 45th anniversary, don't only look back on what God has done. That's tremendous. And don't start saying, oh, I wish it was like that. No, you don't. Why? Because our focus needs to be not only on what God has done, but listen, on what God is doing in your life, in my life. And what God will do, that's vision, in your life, in my life. And you know what? 
in other lives that we haven't even met yet. So to do this, we must keep our focus, and I put my outline, I actually changed it to be honest with you, as I had studied the text, and then as I saw it was falling on the anniversary of Sunday, I haven't changed the contents of what I'm going to tell you, I've just changed what I would have given you for an outline. And now what I'd say to you is right there in your bulletin. In order to do this, we must keep our focus as we look to what God is going to do, and as we look to what God is doing now, and he has done in the past, we need to keep our focus, at least in these three areas, one, on people's souls, two, on the will of God, and three, on the work that is at hand right now. What do you mean people's souls? Verse 27, I already read it. I want you to see in verse 27, and at this point, that is, I wish I could spend more time on. That's a simple statement at this point, but I want you to see the sovereignty of God there again. You notice this? Jesus had led these, this woman from regular water to the place that now he says to her, I am the Christ. And his disciples didn't come until that moment. God's perfect timing. They didn't interrupt the conversation. They didn't get there too late. They got there at the right moment when he has just displayed. And by the way, in verse 27, because of the imperfect tense there, when it says he's still speaking to the woman, they were still conversing when the disciples arrived. They're still conversing. So they returned. Why did they disappear? Look at verse 8. For his disciples had gone away, and I don't want you to forget this, into the city to buy food. It was legitimate. They went to buy food because they needed it, and they come back, and here's this woman, and they come upon the conversation. He's just revealed who he is. He's still conversing with her. They come on the scene, and what happens? They have an unbelievable reaction, but to put it in its context, what they saw was this. They saw what they considered a rabbi, their leader, and I want you to understand this because of the culture. Women were not looked upon very highly. I think you understand that from Bible times. In fact, in the writings that I could quote to you and so forth, and I won't take the time, for a rabbi to speak to a woman alone was absolutely unheard of and considered an absolute waste of time. You just need to understand that. That's why they're going to get the reaction the way they do. That, that was considered a waste of time. Second of all, this was a Samaritan, and we've already looked at that. Not only a woman, number one, number two, a Samaritan. And I'll tell you something else, number three, what we've already learned. If these disciples knew what you and I know about her background that the Lord has disclosed, they would have been floored even more. But this conversation is going on. So that's what they come into. But the problem is, as they come in, and it says that they marveled that he had been speaking with a woman. And you notice this is what we do? Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? They wouldn't dare say that. Not at all. Why? The Lord knew what was going on. And they were just looking at the physical. All they were looking at was a woman, and why in the world are you talking to her? They went and got food, and I'm going to tell you something. They needed to be concerned for that woman's soul, and they were not. And if you don't think that happens with us, you're kidding yourself. We who are the most taught 
in, in many circles. We who know the scriptures, we who carry our Bibles around, when in other parts of the world they don't even have Bibles, we who know and read the word of God, we're in it all the time, oftentimes are so wrapped up in the physical things around us, we can't even see the soul of the person next to us in the sense of concern. And they were indifferent toward that woman. She's going to be excited. The Samaritans are going to be excited. But at least at this stage, they're indifferent. They had biases. We do too. You have to be honest with yourself. Sometimes we're indifferent to the people we come in contact with at work, in our neighborhood, that come into this church that we see on the street. We have our biases against them. We are indifferent toward them. We're wrapped up in the physical life that we're involved in. And we fail to see what God is doing. They didn't walk in here and knowing that Jesus has already been ministering to them. Remember what we've already studied. There's already been the miracle of the water into wine. If that's not enough. There's already been the conversation with Nicodemus. And if that's not enough, they know what's going on. And you would think they would come in and say, wow, I wonder what the... Our, our Savior, I wonder what the Messiah right now is teaching them. Boy, he took the interest in this woman. Wait, we need to... No, not at all. What they're interested in is, man, I'm starving. Like some of you may be right now. Hurry up and finish, Pastor Dan. My stomach is growling. No one has said that. But you know what I'm saying. I want you to see the practicality here. Not about that thing. Listen, let me say this to you so I don't forget it. These disciples, and as far as us, they should not have felt this way. We should never look at another person. Have you ever done this? Look at another person and say, how could that person get saved? You know what you should do when you think that way? Look in the mirror. We should not be surprised at Christ bringing anybody to himself when he saved us. Who are we to think somebody's not worthy of the gospel? Who are we to hold on to our biases and traditions? We're going to see this term in just a second, but in verse 35, they were missing it when he says, and this gets so quoted and so misused so many times, look on the fields, for they are white for the harvest. They didn't see it. What's he dealing with? People. People. Those people may be near you. God brings us into contact with people every day. And in real circumstances of life, this was a well of water, and Christ took the opportunity. It might be in a prison, Paul and Silas. They were ready to give the gospel. They were ready to be concerned about that soul. It might be while you're cutting your lawn. It might be while you're having a barbecue. It might be while you're in a, getting ready to make a phone call. It might be in the car when you're carpooling. We need to be sensitive to the souls around us is my point. Because you'll see throughout scripture it's in ordinary circumstances that it happens. It's not in a church setting like this. Though people get saved at Bible studies and so forth, it's not necessarily in a setting like that. God has planted you and me in this world to be concerned about the souls of people. It might be in an isolated place like the Ethiopian eunuch. 
It might be at a wedding feast where everybody's together and you're sitting down and rather than being critical of what's going on at the wedding, be concerned about the souls around you and be looking at the opportunities that God might open up for you. It might be in the grocery store. It might be in the dentist office. I know that. I won't tell you why, but I do and because of time. It, you don't know when the Lord's going to use you. It might be in a house like with Cornelius. Be ready and be focused on people and their needs just like Jesus was. And as a church, let us not get so focused. Now, there's a place for programs. Let us not get so focused on programs, on activities, on the physical, in the concept of losing focus on the witness of Christ for others and bringing people to Christ. We need to keep our focus on people because that's what Jesus was focused on. He was focused on the woman. Was he weary? Yes. Was he tired? Yes. Was he hungry? Yes. But his focus was on the soul of that person. Have you and I somewhere along the line lost that focus? You say, oh, no, I'm, I've been walking with the Lord, and my focus is, is on the Lord, and I just can't wait to watch the game this afternoon, if there's a game on. I, I, I just can't. I just can't wait to go to the beach. Or I just can't wait. Where's your focus? Is that focus really on people? Is it like this woman who just ran and said, hey, come on, come and see. you got to hear. This guy's been telling me everything that's going on. Is he the Messiah? Nah, you know, we, we know the scriptures. We know all the theology now, and so we get wrapped up, and we, we're, we're beyond that. Really? Jesus wasn't, and he is the Messiah. have to move along to get it in. Second one is Jesus' focus was on the will of God. Verses 31 to 34, I showed you I jumped down. Verse 31. In the meantime, and in between, we'll get back to the woman. I'm not going to not study that with you. In the meantime, the disciples were requesting him, saying, Rabbi, eat. I'm going to read it all the way to verse 34. In the meanwhile, the disciples were saying that, Rabbi, eat, verse 32. He said to them, I have food to eat, and you don't even know about it. Now watch the disciples. They're really spiritually minded. The disciples therefore said one to another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's where my focus is. My focus is on the will of God. The disciples were pressing him in verse 31, in verse 33. That's what they were doing. They're pressing him to eat. They're focused on the physical. And I want you to catch this. Jesus, even though he was tired, even though he was weary, he was. Even though he was hungry, he was. Even though he was thirsty he was he was still ministering to others you say yeah the woman at the well no 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 he's ministered to her already even in the midst of his tiredness he's now going to teach the disciples he's so concerned sorry he's so concerned for people he's so concerned 
for what's going on in their lives that his focus even went right back in the disciples and he saw that they were focused on the physical and he wanted to teach them. He wanted to teach them. And what happens? He basically teaches them that bread is not the substance that keeps man going. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And his focus was on the will of God. Let me just give you two quick verses. In John, for time's sake, chapter 6, turn there, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Chapter 8, verse 29. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. Our focus needs to be on doing the will of God. That was Jesus' focus. And he's trying to teach his disciples, you're hungry, I'm hungry. You see me talking to this woman, and now you want to get food into my stomach? I'm here to do the will of God. That's my real food. Can you say that? You mark this down. I won't turn there. Job 23, verse 12. Job said his priority was more the will of God than his daily food. Oh, we don't mind filling our stomachs. But are we focused on trying to do what God's will is? Is our focus, to try to make it a little practical here for a moment, is it on our retirement? Is it on serving God where I want? One of the things that happened in the conversation that I've had with Mark over the last two weeks, he said, and I pretty much, I believe, have it verbatim, and I quote, but Mark said to me, Dan, I've never felt so in the will of God in my life. The best place to be, folks, is in the will of God. Now. Right now. You say, but I'm working on a job. Is that where God's planted you? Live for him now. You say, but, you know, I know the Lord's moving me over to here. You're not there yet. Live for him now. The best place to be is in the will of God now. But I have my schedule set and so forth. Live for the Lord now. What does that mean? It comes down to some pretty basics. People always wonder about the will of God. The scriptures reveal several things. It is a holy life. Start there. It is proclaiming the gospel. When's the last time you did it? It is serving him. Are you? It is reading the word of God. Do you? It is praying. Those are things that are the will of God that's revealed in the word of God. The best place to be for any believer is to be right there in the will of good God and to be doing what God wants you to do. Now, let me just give you a quickie on this. John the Baptist was in the will of God. Even when he said, I must decrease, he must increase. John the Baptist was on the will of God when he lost his head. Job was in the will of God when he was in trials. But it was the best place to be. 
James was in the will of God when he lost his life. Peter was in the will of God when Satan tested him. And Christ said, I will pray for you, even when he was going to be sifted as wheat by Satan. Daniel was in the will of God in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the will of God. Paul and Silas were in the will of God when they were in prison. You get the point? I can go on with the list that's before me. Our focus needs to be on being in the will of God. And if God has planted you in the nursery, in the kitchen, if he's planted you in the music ministry, if he's planted you in the greeting ministry, you just be there in the will of God and serve him. Let him continue to use you. And notice this. He says in verse 34, quickly, he says that my will, uh, food is to do the will of God, watch this, and to accomplish his work. What is that? To finish it. It's the word for finish. It's the word to complete. It's the word to accomplish. In other words, let God finish what he's doing with you. He started a good work in you. He will complete it until the end. Stay with it to the end. There is no excuse for a Christian to ever turn around and say, I've done what I've done. Now let someone else do it. The minute you do that, you are saying, I don't care about the will of God anymore. God is not done with you till he takes you home. You say, well, I'm 85 years old. Praise God for the years he's given you and keep serving him. You say, well, I just got saved last week. Praise the Lord, because you might only have one more day for all you know. Serve him now. doesn't matter. And that brings us to the last point, and I've got to wrap this up in five minutes, which is not going to do justice to the passage, so I might have to address it a little bit later. But keep your focus on the work at hand. Let us keep our focus as a church as we go ahead and as individuals on people, not programs. Let us keep our focus on just being where God wants me to be and doing what God wants me to do and keep my focus on what God has at hand for me. Be aware of what he's doing. Some people feel verse 35 is a proverb where it says, do they not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? There's all kinds of interpretations on that. The two primary ones is some use it for dating it, meaning it was December, looking forward to March, uh, April. Others think it was a proverb, and before you get so loose, I don't think it was a proverb, but many do because it's like saying Rome was not built in a day, that type of thing. The same expression would be, well, there's four months till the harvest and so forth. That may be. Don't get wrapped up in that. That's not the concern. The problem was in verse 35 when he says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for the harvest. Did you ever think about that? Have you ever looked on fields when they're ready to harvest? Seriously. They're not white. You say, what do you mean? When have you seen? Now, okay, I might have some people here from the south, and they're going to say, I've seen cotton fields. You know what? You're right. You're right. But no, I want you to catch really what's saying here, because a lot of people don't put it back in its historical context. You know, the fields, when they're ready to harvest and the wheats come up, they're usually golden and so forth. Very rarely. And you say, well, it's a reflection of the light and all that. No, 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 no. 
You know what was before the Lord? The context. Who's he going to deal with? The Samaritans. What did they wear? White robes. And he's saying to his disciples, you came to me, you wanted to give me food. You didn't even want to talk about this woman. Now you still want to press with me on food. Look in the fields. Who was coming to him in the context? We're going to see it. The Samaritans. People, look at the work before you. They're ripe. And these people were ripe because we're going to see in the context they come to Christ. The disciples weren't seeing the Samaritans coming to the Lord. The disciples weren't seeing what God was doing in the midst. They were too focused on the physical. He said, you're even looking at the fields, and you're not seeing those who are coming through. I believe that's the right interpretation for this passage. And then he gets in. There's those that sow, and there's those that reap. And you know what? That's true with us, and I want to just bring in the word of patience. First of all, just we'll have to deal a little bit more with this context, but let me say this for this morning. In here in verses 36 to 38, we need to be patient. Do you know that you might witness and all you're doing is sowing and you might never, ever see a person come to Christ? Keep sowing. You and I sometimes have the benefit. Somebody's been sowing for years and someone comes into your path and all of a sudden you have an opportunity to sit down and they come to Christ that moment. That can happen. Usually doesn't, but it can. You get the benefit of seeing that portion of it. But the point is God gets all the glory and we are all involved so that both the laborer and the one that sows and the one that reaps, they'll get their reward. And our focus needs to be on that. We are all members of the body of Christ. We've got all different functions to do. Keep focused. If you're sowing, sow. If you're reaping, take the benefit. And I understand even with the Lord Jesus Christ reaping and so forth and the angels that will come to reap. But what I mean in the sense of a living soul by application so let me close with this. My time's gone. What are we saying? Here you have a situation where the most learned people of the group, they're not where they should be yet. They've got some more learning to do from the Lord. But the ones who were the followers, the ones who were supposedly spiritually minded, in our context in verses 27 to 42, are the ones who are going to have the worst focus of all, only in the physical. Don't let that happen to us. Don't get after 45 years of the church so smug, so indifferent. And if you've been a Christian, the longer you've been a Christian, the more zealous you should be for the things of God because you're closer, probably, at least by human terms because of age, to seeing the Lord. Get involved. Be involved in people's lives. We need to be involved in one another's lives. We need to be involved in serving God and being in the will of God right now. Not tomorrow. We need to be focused on the work at hand, not the work of the past. Learn from it, yes. But look with vision to the future till the Lord Jesus Christ comes. You know that that's part of communion? Part of communion is that we remember what Christ has done. Why? Until he comes. Because we're still looking ahead. By God's grace, my Fellowship Bible Church, might you as individuals, might I, be so focused that our focus doesn't get wrapped up in the physical, 
doesn't get wrapped up in the past, but we learn and see what God's done, and we look at what God is doing now and what he's going to do, and it should excite you. And if you're not, spend some time alone with the Lord and do what David did. Lord, renew a right spirit in me. Oh, God, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Psalm 63. Oh, God, thou art my God. Lord, excite me. And then get out and do the work of the Lord. Let the Lord use Fellowship Bible Church as he continues to build his church and you as the people of God in the future as he continues to do his work wherever he'll use you on me. Let's pray. Our Father in God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you and praise you again for the things that you just did today among us with communion with uh, Thailand, with the word of God. Thank you, Father, for the great God that we serve. We pray that you'd bless the afternoon activities and that it would just be a joy to sit back and to see what you are doing, what you have done, and to look with great anticipation as to what you will continue to do. Help our focus to be on people, to be concerned for one another, to be concerned for the glory of God. Yes, we live in a physical world. Yes, we have needs. But even the Lord Jesus Christ, as weary as he was, not only witnessed, but was ready even to teach the disciples because he was concerned for people. Help us to be that way. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me say this before Chris closes us. Uh, we will be hopefully eating by 12.